What's going on, guys? Larry Brown here, one half of the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. Uh, check it out. This is what you're about to listen to is a uh, audio interview that we had with Dr. Mike Israetel of Renaissance Periodization uh, RP Strength at RP Strength on IG. Um, we ran into several technical difficulties while filming uh, this podcast or recording the podcast rather. Um, so what you're hearing, you're, you're missing about really 10 minutes of the first part of the podcast because Zoom kept going in and out uh, and a variety of other reasons. Uh, but in any event, uh, what you're about to hear, uh, we have about a 52 minute podcast here with just phenomenal information on uh, reps and reserve, using reps and reserve for hypertrophy, um, things of that nature. So please stay tuned, check it out. Uh, leave us a comment in the comments section and please leave us a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere where you get your podcasts. All right. Check you later and let us know how you like it. Zoom is pissing me off. Yeah, for sure. I can cut to the chase real quick to finish this one off. So should I go? Yeah, please. So Nick and I ended up referring a lot of people to each other. He was doing mostly training clients and he was so busy training people, he didn't have time to write diet programs. I was living in Tennessee at the time. He was in New York, so I couldn't physically train anyone in person, but I wrote a ton of diets and wrote them for tons of his clients. And a lot of times it was one of those things where he would have a person come in for training and he would want to... Uh, refer them to me for diet, but it gets kind of awkward telling like professional New Yorkers like, well, my friend Mike, you know, or I would you know, get people who were living in New York that sort of diet stuff with me. I would get them to go train with Nick. And it's weird to be like, well, I have this buddy named Nick. It, it, it's kind of like <laughs> it's weird. Like you're sending someone to uh, kind of buy drugs in the back alley. hundred percent. You're going to meet my man, Nick at 79th and park. And he's going to, he's going he's gonna, to, He's going to test you. You're going to get a gun to the forehead, but just don't <laughs> piss yourself. <laughs> You'll be fine. I think he's usually in a good mood. So, um, so in any case, it, we got sort of like, it was kind of a little awkward doing that. And then Nick was like, dude, let's, um, let's just like start a company so we can make this official. And we had talked earlier. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, you, you guys basically just put a ring on it. A hundred percent. Yeah. The continuing our relationship story is, basically <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> so we started a company and Nick had sort of talked earlier, even back in college about working together. So finally it was a thing where we had a company and we had a name and I can talk about the name if you guys want, but it's a bit of a long story, but in any case we had a company and we were basically doing online coaching. And it, so that's when stuff was, so I was in a PhD program. I was in like my first year of PhD and it was good. And we were doing online coaching and then I could only take so many clients, right? Cause I had a whole PhD course load and everything. And Nick could only take so many clients cause at some point he was just full. So we were like, damn. And, and we were getting, cause we had a website and stuff and we were sort of expanding. We had further and further inquiries, especially for online coaching that like, we just couldn't fill. And Nick was like, dude, we need more help. So I looked around and I'm surrounded by PhD students in sports science that are lifetime athletes. And I was like, huh, well, so we reached out to some of my friends there who are now huge pieces of our company. 
And I'm like, hey, James Hoffman, do you want to coach some people online? And he's like, uh, sure, I'll give it a shot. And, you know, mind you, these people, they had been personal trainers for years and had already been writing diets to people for years. We just brought them in and then it kept going like that. And our big, I guess our big, I don't know if it's called a break, our big change came when after probably about a year of this, uh, maybe a year and a half, we kept getting the same, so the coaching business was great, and we kept getting the same questions a lot from clients. Like we would write these diets, and they were like, so I noticed there's lots of carbs. Why are there carbs? I thought carbs made you fat. Or I noticed that you put more carbs before the workout and after the workout, but not as many carbs before bedtime or other times of the day. Why? You know, there's only so many questions you can get in a row that the same fucking question until I was like, man, I, I, there's no real, there's no books that are written relatively simply for the average intelligent person who doesn't have a science background because you can give nutrition textbooks, but that's, you know, holy shit, who's fucking going to read that? So there was no books for us to refer them to. So we were like, you know what, we should, we should just write a, a sort of like a mini ebook uh, talking about our approach to sort of scientific dieting at RP. And like, if people are really, really curious they can read the book, or at the very least, we can copy and paste sections of the book into email and be like, oh, you asked about carbs. Here's the carbs section. They'd be like, oh, thanks. So we wrote the RP diet book, and we had had a relationship writing some articles for Chad Wesley Smith of uh, Juggernaut uh, Training Systems at that point. He was a book publisher. So we were like, Chad, do you want to publish our ebook? And he was like, sure. We published our ebook. We did some videos on YouTube to sort of promote that. We wrote some articles for Juggernaut. And when our ebook came out, it was like people seemed to like it. And we had a Facebook group by then. And that really, some more people tried it. And then when I was writing that book, especially in the one chapter, the chapter was called Designing Your Own Diet. So it was like taking all the principles written about in the book, all the explanations, and giving sort of a formula to how, okay, how much do you weigh? What do you add first? What do you subtract? How much food? How many meals? It was a step-by-step -step process of designing your own diet. And the first idea that came to my head when I was writing was, you know, this is an algorithmic process that a computer program could do. We need to write a fucking app. And I was like, Nick, we need to do an app. And he's like, sweet, we don't have any money. And I was like, I know. <laughs> so, and I, and, I, and I was like, well, you know, the app's pretty, pretty big deal, but I think what I can do for now is make these templates in like Microsoft Excel, basically, right. where you start out with a certain amount of food and it just progressively cuts your food based on how you lose weight. So you just pick one of four tabs, whatever tab you're on is either more aggressive or less aggressive diet. You float between the tabs as you need until you lose the weight you, uh, you need to or gain the weight you need to. Can you guys still hear me? Yep. Sweet. So we sold, we started selling the diet templates and a lot of them that had read the book noticed that like, well, this is really straightforward. I don't have to do all these calculations myself. I just have to do what the template says. And it's really super simple. And we got a, a big bump in template sales right up front. And then uh, for basically two months, the template sold like, okay, but nothing crazy after, you know, the big initial release is always the big thing. And then something really magical happened. Um, I made a deal with the devil, just kidding, but I might as well have. So the first before and after pictures from the templates That's what I started to hit the internet. Yep. That's what I figured. Yeah. And 
people were like, what the what? What the fuck is this? And they started paying attention. And then template sales started to go up. And then more people got into great shape. And then it's just a self-fueling fire. And then a couple of years later, the templates are selling like a fucking gazillion trillion dollars or whatever. And we have a huge Instagram and all this other bullshit. And finally, we uh, can make the fucking app. We go through three separate app companies. Two of them drop the ball at an enormous amount of expense and time lost to us. And then the last uh, person who contacts us was just a guy who I had argued with on Facebook. And I was like, not a piece of shit to him. He was like a keto guy at the time or a paleo guy. And he's like, well, what about this and that? And I was like, good question. I think this, this, that. He was like, oh, this man is oddly respectful and not an asshole. So we kept talking. And it turns out he was a software developer just working for a company. And he's like, hey, I'd like to build this app for you. And we're like, hey, good news, bad news. We're already working with a company. So thanks, but maybe you can build something for us later. And he's like, okay, no worries. And then like two months later, that company we're working with, like <laughs> the guy that was in charge of our account decided he didn't want to make apps anymore. He was just going to go and live out of his car and just travel around America. What the and fuck? We, no, right? And so we found the shit out like weeks later when he just didn't respond to any communication. His company was like, yeah, I guess he took some time away. And we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. This guy went on a walkabout with my fucking app. No, legit. Like, he just straight up disappeared. So we were like, great. So then we hit up this other gentleman named Andrew. And we're like, Andrew, let's fucking do this. So we paid him some money. Uh, he spec'd it out for us at actually much less than the price than we were prepared to pay. He fucking got 70% of it done, quit his day job, um, hired another developer from school. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Quit his day job, hired another developer from school, and they finished the app. Version one was janky as fuck. I mean, it worked, but it looked like really like, like a real basic, we'll just say basic charitably. And then, but then people were like, wow, this is sweet. And then we hired uh, two more developers, or Andrew did for us, that are super, super brilliant guys. We've been updating the app ever since, and it's gaining momentum, and it has, uh, gee, how many users now? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. It's, it's tens of thousands of users, a lot. And we'll, just, we'll, the, we'll go with that, because uh, um, although I'm not an RP, and I, I don't want to sound like an asshole when I say this, um, I'm not a science big science guy when it comes to training, but I like you guys' approach. So I secretly stalk all of you on Facebook. Um, That's so not a secret anymore. It's <laughs> not a secret anymore. Secret love. <laughs> uh, but no, it, for anybody that's doubting that they've sold literally millions of this, millions of this program, I, I can assure you they have sold millions of this program. And the result for themselves. The, yes. Well, thanks so much, guys. Yeah, like, so, and, and here's the thing, man. At the end of the day, at RP, we have a bunch of books now, a bunch of products, training programs, diet app. We're working on a bunch of other stuff all the time. We got a YouTube channel that puts out a bunch of shit now, and it just broke 100K followers, which is neat. Um, at the end of the day, like, I'll tell you this. We're not trying to take over. There's none of that bullshit. We're not like, we're going to fucking dominate this industry, bro. Right? None of that shit. We're just trying to make it easier and cheaper and more accessible for folks to just get in shape.
And yeah, we work with a lot of elite athletes, but most of the people we work with are not elite athletes. They give a fuck about elite athletics. They just want to lose that 15 pounds and keep it off. Or they just want to get a little bit stronger and leaner for their, you know, for their wife and kids. And like, there's so much bullshit out there that we're just like, have these simple, cheap fucking products. They're like, look, use this, get in shape. And we're going to teach you how to, how to stay in shape. No hype. Cause there's so much fucking hype. And, and that's really just what we're standing against. And, and that's that. Let's just keep doing a good job, I guess. Yeah. That's one of the things I really, um, like about not only your company but your approach to things like i said earlier you guys have now democratized fitness and it, it's not something that you like you said back in the day where you had to find this guru and you know he hit or miss whether or not they'll be able to impart that on you and it's not the the clickish the clickish cliche nowadays that you have to belong to a certain uh group you have to be paleo you have to be keto you have to be in this camp or that camp, you guys have kind of made it where it's like a, a big tent and anyone can come to you guys. Um, I know I have lots of times in order to point myself in the right direction and gain uh, kind of a new, uh, more firm perspective on things, training diet wise. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to say I have, I have definitely um, absorbed quite a few of your products um, and I use it with, in turn with my um, own coaching methods. And I noticed that I've become a much better coach as a result of incorporating some of your methods and practices. So big shout out for that. You guys well, thank you so much. Oh, no doubt. Um, my, I have a question in terms of when you were um, in the PhD program, is this kind of where you saw yourself? Like if I was to ask you your five-year plan while you were in Tennessee doing, going through the PhD program, you're finally your PhD. And I said, five years from now, where, where do you see, um, this, this fledgling business of yours, did you, did you think it would get this big? Right, that's a good question. No, I didn't, slash I had no idea. I didn't even entertain that thought. I have a talent for creating and inventing. Uh, I have no fucking talent for vision, corporate anything. That's Nick Shaw. Um, Nick Shaw, when, when we were just coaching people, we didn't have any eBooks. We didn't have any digital products at all. I thought we were just going to keep coaching people until we were like, maybe someday, like, uh, somebody like Shelby Starnes or John Meadows right. or, um, you know, like there's that, I forget what his name is. This is a dude that coaches bikini girls out of California and he's Tomorrow? got like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard like rumors because this is totally rumor, but like he has like 700 clients at any one time, something insane, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. right? Exactly. He's like, he's got all these like bikini girls around him at all times, um, which is you know, pretty VIP shit. You feel me? It's, it's kind of sweet to be known as that, as that guy. I just have a bunch of muscular dudes around me at all times. Like, where the <laughs> fuck did I zig when I should have zagged in life? This sucks. Um, but like. You know, we just, I, not we, I just thought we were just going down that road, which is a fucking sweet road of just being someone who is a fucking, you know, kind of like sought after trainer slash coach. Nick was like, that's cool, but I think digital products are really where it's at because we can scale ourselves out. Um, and I was like, scale what? What's that? And I was the one that comes up with the ideas of how to do it, but Nick was the one that steers the ship and points the direction. And... So no, guys, to be honest, I had no fucking vision at all. Like when I was in PhD program, what I thought was this, that's exactly what I thought, all the way up through the end of the PhD program, I thought I was going to be a professor, which I was going to anyway, and it did happen. 
I thought I would make a, a decent professor salary, enough to be able to pay off some, uh, you know, my student loans regularly and enjoy a nice, comfortable, conservative life driving a Honda Civic, which, by the way, <laughs> is the last car I ever drove. Um, and, you know, like, I just, I'm like, I'm a fucking Jew straight up, right? And I'm becoming more Jewish as I, I get older. So, like, cheap, not cheap, but, like, yeah, cheap fucking, I'll say it. I don't give a fuck. Um, conservative with my money, I'll put it that way. I'm not, like, a big spender. I don't, like, flash my shit around. So I was just going to live this, like, very, like, you know, conservative life on a conservative amount of money. And then as RP got bigger through my PhD, I was like, this is great. This is more money for me to pay off my student loans faster. And I have no idea if it's going to, because, you know, business is business, right? You never know if it's coming or going. So I was like, I'm not going to rely on this money, but as long as it keeps coming in, I'm just going to pay off my student loans faster so that eventually I can be debt-free and buy a little house somewhere or something or, um, and then you can get married and all that other shit and have kids. So zero fucking vision, um, like the opposite of Steve Jobs or whatever the fuck. Nick Shaw has vision and he had vision and he does. And he was the one that, that, uh, that pointed the direction. I was an am the creator, but fuck if I knew this was going to become anything. I had no clue. I still don't. I still don't. People are like, what are your plans for RP? I'm like, well, I have plans, but I'm not sure if they're going to come through. Honestly, like my Nick, Nick is a little bit more of a planner for me. We create products we think are in demand that we think are going to be valuable and we see how they perform. And if they perform well, we invest more into them. If they perform poorly, we try to enhance them. If the enhancements fail, we switch gears and try to do something else. That's it. I'm like a see two feet in front of my face kind of guy with that. But the good thing is, is that the market is pretty good at telling you if you're fucking up or not. So if you're doing a good job at some shit, just keep doing that and making it better. And a lot of times that'll get you really far. It's funny you say that because a lot of people, um, when eBooks first came out and templates first came out, a lot of people were saying these aren't going to work. Um, you know, people prefer that one-to-one -one approach. And I'm thinking in my head because I'm kind of a tech nerd. Uh, I'm like, no, people are getting more intolerant of people and are more into the digital <laughs> as society progresses. So there's going to be a need for, for like uh, these eBooks and these remote diets, dieting, right? Because gone are the days, and I'm speaking from a, a bodybuilding standpoint, gone are the days when you have to go to Gold's Gym Venice to be noticed or to get any type of good advice. Totally. Um, I want to switch back to training just uh, a wee bit. So we have this, and this is partly for me kind of being selfish. I go by the RPE scale for training, okay? Now, I notice in a lot of your YouTube videos, you use a lot of these acronyms, uh, MRV, maximum recoverable volume, uh, MEV, maximum effective volume. But the one mm -hmm. that I want to talk about is RIR, reps and mm -hmm. reserve. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between RPE, RIR? Why is RIR in your eyes a more effective training model for hypertrophy? And how should bodybuilders and powerlifters in, in, institute that inside of their own training for progression? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm actually super prepared to answer that question just now because I just finished 
doing uh, designing all the lectures for a course I'm teaching at Lehman College in the Bronx. Somebody asked me, like, where in the Bronx are you going to be living? I'm like, on the internet. It's on the internet. I'm not coming to the Bronx, unfortunately. I, and I do, as, as an active NYPD detective, I highly encourage you to not come to the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Well, I'm Russian. I'll be part of a contributing crime in the Bronx. <laughs> not the first Russian to, to, you know what I'm saying, kill someone in the Bronx, I'm sure. But in any case, not the first thousandth, I guess. Um, so, so here's the deal. Um, I just finished uh, talking about the differences between strength approach to what's called relative effort. So RPE and RIR are measurements or estimates of relative effort, how hard you're trying. That's it. It's as simple as that. And there's a difference between how you go about it with strength and hypertrophy. At the end of the day, fundamentally, it's the same shit. However, when you're doing singles, doubles, and triples, okay, peaking training, or even sets of three, four, five, and six, basic strength training, reps in reserve sucks because like, if you're doing a heavy double, how many reps in reserve is that? Well, it's fucking zero because there's no way you can do a triple, but there's a heavy double and there's a heavy, heavy double. And there's the world's fucking heaviest double, which you couldn't even have put any more load on the bar. So if you're training for sets of two, there might, let's say it's 400 is your max set of two that you can do. And you can't even do 405 at all. It would just be a set of one because your next rep would crush you. What, at what weight on the bar would you be able to do a set of three? Well, maybe like 370, that's your best triple. And your best double is 400, right? So what do we catalog 380 and 390 as? I mean, it's still fucking zero RIR, right? Like you can't do three, but like 370 is, or 380, even though, you know, it's 20 pounds less than your best, most high effort double, you can't call it as hard. It's just not as fucking hard. And to squat 380 doesn't take nearly out of you what squatting 400 for a double does. So at that point, RPE is way superior because RPE is a purely subjective scale of how fucking hard are you trying? So RPE seven is like stimulative. Like I had to fucking work, but it was no big deal. RPE eight is like, damn, the shit is getting real. RPE nine is like, holy fuck, I'm near my limit. And RPE 10 is like, I couldn't have fucking lifted any more weight at all for this number of reps, period. So RPE for powerlifting is way superior to RIR because RIR just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't apply, right? It's like, it's like asking what color an individual atom nucleus is. Like a color is generated at wavelengths bigger than an atomic nucleus. Like it has no color. The concept doesn't exist. I guess it's like asking like, you know, how much sex drive does a testosterone molecule have? Like what if it's a fucking molecule? It doesn't have that at all. It, the same thing is asking like, how many reps in reserve are you at your heavy single? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> like, cause I can't do double with it, but it doesn't mean there's not gradations there that are important. Now that's on the strength side and the powerlifting side. RP works great, super great up to sets of like 10. And at a set of 10, RP and RIR are basically the same. So if you do an RPE 10 lift for a set of 10, that's the same thing as zero RIR or training to fail with your 10 RM. Same thing in an RP of seven is you probably doing like seven reps, right? However, the hypertrophy range extends to 20 reps and even to 30 reps. Here's the thing. If you do a set of 25, what the fuck RPE was that shit depending on how hard you worked? 
Like if you could have done 30, but you did 27, what RPE is that? I don't know. RPE is a fucking one to 10 scale. Like I'm not doing the math. I don't know. Fucking multiply by three or some shit. Fuck that. I'm not doing that math. At the end of the day, what are you really concerned about with sets of 10 to 30? It's that you're not so many reps away from failure that you're really just not trying. So at that point, RIR, reps in reserve, is much better because it's much more accurate and you have to do zero guessing. And as a form of progression, you start at like RIR three or some shit and you keep adding load to the bar over time or adding reps until you distinctly hit failure at the end of your mesocycle. And then you know for a fact how close you were with your guess. And next time you're better with your guess and so on and so forth. Where if it's RPE, man, like, I don't know, how hard did that set of 27 feel? On the one hand, yeah, it felt hard towards the end, but on the other hand, the weight's not that heavy. Maybe I could have gotten five more reps, maybe 10, who knows? So it seems to me like RIR is excellent for sets of 10 to 20, I'm sorry, 10 to 30. Uh, RPE is excellent for sets of zero to 10, uh, or one to 10 <laughs> sets of zero. Uh, and then between there, there's the sort of gray area of sets of, I would say, five to 15, where RPE and RIR have their pluses and minuses, but are about as good as each other. But mostly one is reserved much better for strength training and the other a little bit better for hypertrophy training. Now, when we're talking instituting RIR, like, okay, I do a, I do a leg press. All right. Mm -hmm. I have a hard leg press because I despise the squat at my age. Um, how do I estimate like a RIR, RIR three? Like I got six plates on and I easily do 12, but like, if I did that extra three, it's not going to crush me, but it's not going to be easy. Yep. So uh, it's actually really straight up. RIR three means gun to your head. You have three more reps you can do, but you can't do a fourth. So it's something you, and you have the training wisdom because you've been training for a long time. I was going to insult your agent and say forever. That was going to be fucked up. <laughs> uh, no. I've been training for, I, I started training when Lee Haney retired. Damn, that's what's up. So are you really Lee Haney? Is that what I'm hearing here? <laughs> I don't plant any fucking vegetables right now. I don't go to church, so that's no. Clearly no. Clearly. Um, although, have you and Lee Haney ever been seen at the same place, same time? Hmm. Yes, my last show. Oh, oh never there, mind. You there you go. Or is he a body double? Hmm. No, oh, hey, no. <laughs> he, had, he had a pretty sweet jam girl back in the 80s. I refuse to touch that shit. Oh, dude. I watch 80s bodybuilding videos exclusively for the hair and the outfits because um, the shit was straight up fire. And I want it back. And we can't have it back because it just looks so ridiculous. People would make fun of us. Yeah, some parts. I'm, 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 I'm still going to get a pair of parachute pants at some point because... <laughs> I'm going to find a pair of fucking hot skins and I'm going to do an entire photo shoot. <laughs> yeah, the, like the, the unitard thing where like it was just like the onesie that they trained in. Like, yes. man. Oh, oh, my God. God. <laughs> oh my God. 
I swear, I'm going to get uh, a fucking wave cap too. And I'm yeah. going to on zero RIR on all my fucking exercises. <laughs> Failure on and it's going to be fucking phenomenal. So, okay. So the RIR thing, basically it's this. How the fuck do you really know your three RIR? You, you find, at the end of the day, you fucking don't. Like you have a ton of training wisdom, so you know when shit gets really hard and you think, okay, I, I'm maybe, I maybe have three reps left. That's when you stop, okay? Week one, you write down your reps. You say, I got 12 reps at 600 pounds in leg press. Next week, you up the ante a little bit. You go to 610 pounds. You try to hit at least 12 again, okay? Either some number of weeks later, you discover that you're Superman and you get infinitely strong and never hit failure, or at like 650, you're going to get 12 and you're going to try, hopefully with someone watching you, to get 13. And it's just straight up not going to work. And it's gonna, you're going to have to get peeled out of the leg press. You hit failure. And you can look back and be like, hmm, was that really 3 RIR back then? Like, oh, it looks like it was. Or you keep progressing for weeks and weeks and adding tons of load. And you keep increasing reps and load. And you're not at failure. And you're like, damn, either I'm getting strong fast, which is great. Or I really underestimated the fuck out of my 3 RIR. There you go. Or... Or it works the other way where you're like three RIR and someone's watching you. You're like that dumb motherfucker just hit zero R and had no idea. And then next week you can't even match the reps. Like you go to six ten, but instead of hitting twelve, you hit eleven, and you're like, Ugh, I guess I was at zero RIR last time, and now I'm at negative one. It's like, yep, correct. <laughs> so it takes time to get used to. But the fundamental thing is this: I'll make it super fucking simple. At the beginning of your program, when you've chosen your exercise and your loads. Go pretty fucking hard, but leave a little bit in the tank. And then every week after, until you deload, either add a rep or add some weight or some combination of both, and your body will tell you eventually when that last week happens, when you hit all-out failure, you can't match your reps and sets, you're actually a little bit weaker than you were the week before, that's when you've hit your maximum recovery volume and hopefully RIR zero or failure at the same time, then you know what your PRs are. You've, in that last week, you hit your all-time best lifts. You deload. Next time you come back, maybe you change some exercises. Maybe you keep some of them the same. You start again, just a little shy of failure, and you ramp it up, ramp it up, ramp it up, and that's it. Because at the end of the day, RPE versus RIR is a moot fucking point. Just don't ever train too easy, but give yourself a little breathing room to expand in and do a good job for multiple weeks. Because if you go to all-out failure, especially for high volume in that first week, there's only so many weeks you can keep that up until fatigue just stops you dead in your tracks and you have to deload. But if you give yourself a little bit of breathing room, you could have a really, really productive longer accumulation phase in which you gain more muscle and gain more strength. So I want to, I want to point out to a lot of people who um, are not really familiar with these concepts and um, they may be listening and they, they are either in one of two camps where they train to failure every week and then they wonder why um, progress eludes them. Uh, as Dr. Mike just explained, this is why. Because you don't give yourself some place to go and your body is not accumulating that damage and it's not forced to get better if you're always going to train to zero RIR or failure. Also between the lines, from what I understood, is if you're one of these people who go into the gym without a plan or if you go into the gym and you do a, a completely different routine for the same body part from day to day, week to week, and you wonder why, once again, progress eludes you, this is exactly why, and this is why it's important to have a program and have your program structured in a way that allows you to gradually improve over time. Because a lot of people 
I think we take it for granted that this is kind of the way we always look at training. There are a ton of people who have no idea how to structure a training program and don't approach training in anywhere close to the capacity you just described. That was, that was awesome. That was really well put. I'll just add something real quick, especially as you get big and strong, pushing yourself hard enough becomes a question you don't want to have to answer with another question. Right. So when you get big and strong enough, there'll be times when you look at the weight you lifted last week for the reps you lifted last week, you shake your head. You're like, what the fuck? Like, I really did that shit. Like, it seems crazy. You start warming up and you're like, there's no way I'm squatting 500 for reps today. How the fuck does anyone even do that? Like the bar starts to bend. Fuck me. Then you warm up to it. And because you have a plan, like if you just went off straight RPE or RIR, like with no reference to what you did last week, you know, you might be like, oh, I'm feeling it today. I'm just going to do 400 and something. And it might even feel hard to you psychologically. But if it said 500 last week, 505 this week, you warm up to 505. And it said you did six reps last week. It's six reps this week. And you nut up and you do what the fuck it takes. After you get your stuff done, you're like, I can't believe I did that. I guess I really did have it in me to do that. And I would never have thought unless I challenged myself to do a little bit more than I did last time. And because people say like, why don't you just like, why are you trying to beat your numbers? Why don't you just let your body sort of lead the way? Because your body, you can't read perfectly. Your mind interferes with that shit. And even if we're tough guys, some of the time your mind is a little bitch and it'll tell you like, oh, you know, this is a little too heavy. You should take it easy. When in reality, unless you try, sometimes right. you try and you totally shit the bed and it's like, okay, my body's fucked. But sometimes you try and you're like, oh my God, I'm still progressing. And then four weeks later, you're squatting 520 for sets of six. You have no clue you're even capable of that shit. And the only reason you were is because every week you challenge yourself a little bit more, even if you didn't believe that you could do it. So when we're when we're when we're using markers like RPE and RIR, what how do we actually get to the point where we merge this with maximum effective volume MEV, maximum recoverable volume MRV, and maximum volume MV? How do yeah. how do how do we take them? How do we take those two? I don't know what to call them, fatigue concepts, and then put sure. it together inside of, inside of the uh, overall macro of uh, our volume landmarks that you've written about. Totally. So it's actually super straightforward. When After a deload, you want to start at the easiest but yet effective part of training, style of training, so you can get the easy gains early and then only ramp up as you need to to keep the gains coming along. So what you're going to do is you're going to start at like, oh, three reps in reserve or so in week one, you're going to choose your exercises and all the rep ranges. And then you're also going to start around your minimum effective volume, like the smallest amount of volume that in layman's terms gives you like a decent pump, puts some tension through the muscle and makes you a little bit fatigued. Like walk out of the gym feeling like, okay, I did some shit today. It wasn't the fucking most insane workout ever, but it's week one. I definitely grew some muscle or I got a little bit of strength uh, stimulus going. And now we move from there. And then as you go week to week to week, if you notice, for example, for hypertrophy, this is pretty straightforward. If the amount of number of sets you're doing isn't getting you such a great pump anymore, it isn't really getting you sore at all. It's not even really getting you fatigued. Like, you know, you could do like, let's say you do T-bar rows, right? And uh, you do four sets. Uh, you know, if you've been doing T-bar rows 
for a few weeks, you might do four sets and be like, someone's like, dude, your fucking back is lit up, right? You're like, nope, my back feels fine. Like, you got a pump though, right? You're like, eh, right? And they're like, but your back's tired though, right? You're like, nope, still no. Why the fuck wouldn't you do some more shit, right? Like you're there to fucking cause a stimulus and training that you can't even feel is highly unlikely to get you jacked. So what you want to do is as your body adapts to the shit, you might add a set or two here and there to make sure that you're still getting amazing pumps and still getting some decent disruption to the muscle, which means like it's probably sore after training, but even if it's not sore, at the end of each training session, it's weak. You guys know that feeling in a muscle? Like this is the easiest example is quads. Like after like four sets of leg presses and two sets of squats, someone's like, hey, uh, your quads feeling strong? You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I might not be able to drive my car home. Like I'm not so sure my legs work at all. Like that there's a very small argument to say you should do more than that. You know what I mean? Like if someone's wobbling down the staircase and you're looking at him, you're like, that guy's a fucking pussy, bro. The reason his legs aren't big is because he isn't training hard enough. Like how much fucking harder can you train that they become disabled temporarily? So if you're not feeling any of that shit and you're not getting any pumps, you probably should do more volume. So just add a set or two. And of course you progress in load so that your RIR goes down pretty much every week or every other week eventually after like, oh, three to six weeks of that, you're going to be doing so much volume that your body's going to be really close to its limits of recovery. And all of that fatigue, including the fact that you're raising the load all the time or doing more reps is going to start to lower your RIRs. Ideally, that last week of hard training, you want to basically get to where RIR is zero. Like you're going pretty close to failure, if not failure on every single movement. And in addition to that, you're at MRV, maximum recovery volume, which means if someone says to you, hey, now that you finished this week, do you think you can do the same week, same sets, exercises, loads, everything, or even a little bit more next week? If you can honestly answer yes, you got another week of training coming up, motherfucker. If you are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I'm, I'm broken. There's no way I can even do 90% of that. Then it's time for a deload week. So you've gone from RAR3 to RR0, and you've gone from minimum effective volume all the way to maximum recoverable, but it was all in baby steps, doing the same exercise, same great techniques, another rep here, another uh, five pounds here, another set or two here, and you start at something relatively easy but effective and progress slowly until it's fucking killing you. Then you deload because you earn that shit. The fatigue goes away, you restructure your program, and you take one more shot at it. That's how it works. Talk to me about uh, training frequency. So, um, and when I, when I say that, it seems that these concepts work within a muscle group being trained multiple times uh, per week. So touch on that training multiple groups uh, per week and then touch on for the people that are busy, like your New York executives that may only have time a body part once a week taking these concepts and throwing them in a multiple uh or singular week of training yeah that's a good question so the most important concept there is to compare week to week not session to session so if you train chest monday and you train chest thursday don't compare your monday performance to thursday because it should be slightly different rep ranges and different exercises anyway uh, if you try to get better, like if you have bench press Monday and bench press Thursday, and you literally try to get better every single Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, like every Thursday you check back that previous Monday, what you did, and you try to do more, you're going to run aground really, really fast. 
The cool thing about training a muscle group more than once a week is you can use slightly different angles, slightly different exercises, slightly different rep ranges, which means your muscle is not stimulated in exactly the same way, which means the parts of it that got really, really fucked up on Monday don't get so fucked up on Thursday. And then by next Monday, they're a little bit recovered to have another really good session. Can you guys still hear me? Yep, absolutely. Sweet. Um, so if you're training multiple times a week, which I think most folks should train every muscle group for maximum results between roughly two and four times per week. So those CEOs that say they only have time to train a body part once a week, I would say to them, if you, if you can, can train three times a week, you shouldn't be doing like push one of the days, pull another and legs another. You should just be doing whole body every single one of the three days because you can't do as much volume for your push on a Monday because you also have to do pull and legs. You'll heal pretty well by Wednesday and then you'll heal pretty well by Friday. It's just spread out a little bit more because muscles require a slightly more frequent stimulation than once a week to get their best gains. There are exceptions to that when you get really fucking gigantic and really fucking strong, sometimes your muscles actually need a week to recover. The examples I use all the time, Marcus Rule, you guys certainly remember who that was. Yeah, he is. Like, I'm not entirely convinced he can train his chest hard more than once a week because he fucking inclines 500 pounds per set of six. Like, <laughs> that's just not some shit you do three times a week, you know? So... But not everyone's Marcus Rule. Most people, their muscles, if they train them with an appropriate amount of volume, which generally tends to be about three to 10 working sets per muscle per session, most people can do two or three sessions a week, no problem like that for the same muscle. But the progress of adding load and reps and RIR should occur week to week to week, not session to session to session. Okay. Interesting. So take me through prepping for a show, right? And I'm want, I want you to use your own personal experience. So I've seen you uh, compete a couple of different times. Um, the size is there and I'm using, I'm, I, I have my critique hat on right now. Um, huh. this is absolutely there. Uh, the condition can be worked on. Now you do, work with diets and you do use a scientific uh backed approach to your diet tell me why it's better to use a scientific uh backed approach rather than what could be considered a quote-unquote bro approach so yeah yeah totally so if you want to use my approach that I have used for previous shows, here's what it is. Uh, take, take, take the wrong special sports supplements. You take the ones powerlifters take instead of the ones bodybuilders take because you have no idea what you're doing. You don't watch your estrogen at all. You just have no idea what it is, nor do you take any anti-estrogens. You eat about uh, triple the amount of salt you're supposed to, and you cut your water completely wrong in a high-stress environment so that you're carrying roughly 50 pounds, 15 pounds of excess water on the day of the show. And you're too bullheaded to ask anyone for advice, so you just do like three or four shows and look like total shit at all of them. Does that sum it up for, for you pretty well? That, that oh. sounds like the uh, <laughs> run-of-the-mill journeyman NPC regional. Sure, local exactly. Company. So yeah. yeah, that has been my competitive history. That is hopefully soon to be changing. Uh, now, if you want science-based, not bro-based show peaking, 
you can take a look at uh, my colleague Jared Feather and all of his natural clients who he's turned like 15 or more people pro and they all have striated glutes and all completely insane. Um, there's one guy on Instagram you should look up, uh, Marvin Physique is his name. He's a gentleman from Hong Kong and he might be one of the leanest people of all time. And I'm not joking when I say this. Marvin Physique. Um, Marvin Physique, his, like, the way his glutes look before his last show, like, it's difficult to describe in words what the fuck is going on there. Um, and that is just a progressive caloric restriction. It's just time. Um, and it's just a sensible diet. And we all know there's not really any tricks to getting lean except for time spent in a fucking caloric deficit training hard. And if anyone has any alternatives, they're, they're wrong. And then if you look on the enhanced side of things, uh, someone who I've had more than a few conversations with lately who does everything or nearly everything, I would say in a very, very logical way, uh, I have a ton of respect for is Matt Jansen. Um, and Matt Jansen preps half the fucking guys in the Olympia. So, uh, you know, if you want from, from the dark side, so to speak, from the enhanced side, uh, a really logical approach to prepping guys, so you talk to Matt Jansen or listen to his stuff, and he's only one of many guys nowadays who utilize a ton of, a ton of research-backed methods. You know, and I'll tell you this, there's the, the top guys have been those guys for a long time. Do you think, like, Chad Nichols rolled the dice on, on fucking Ronnie Coleman? You know what I mean? Like, what, like Ronnie knew how to eat. Right, he knew how to train. He knew fundamentally how to take drugs. But like, what the fuck did these hire? What, what, what do they hire these guys for? Like Milosarchev, what do people hire them for? Because they know pharmacology pretty well. And because they know how that nutrition interacts with the pharmacology. And they can take the guesswork out because they tell you exact things to take and when and how to take them and how to push your diet up and down and how the interaction with insulin is, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the day, it's not just like, oh, yeah, just fucking put some this and that, like pin this and that many number of IUs. It's very, very, very specific and very tailored to the individual athlete. So it's not bro shit at all. Bro shit, when you want a pro card, you graduate from bro shit to hiring a real coach who knows what the fuck they're doing. And if you actually, you guys probably remember, Ronnie Coleman was asked, what was the difference between your early 90s look and your Olympia look. And he goes, I hired a nutritionist. Yep. <laughs> to, this, to this day, I, I remember that exact terminology. <laughs> yep. So I think that, you know, am I an embodiment of what the scientific approach looks like for contest speaking? No, because I've never fucking done it. I've just done, I've done bro shit that was so stupid. It's indescribable. But as far as my colleagues in the field do, and I'm not a prep coach, uh, uh, they are doing a great job using very, very logical, rational approaches that make a ton of sense. Now, in, in, in terms of your day and, and the business, um, how much of your day does the, the actual business take, take up? Because you do, you do a ton of stuff. You, you write, um, you, you're still a professor, um, you put out excellent YouTube videos, um, and I'm sure you, you have a couple of uh, different projects up in the air at the same time. Business-wise, how, how is it that you're able to make time for all these in the course of your normal day? That's a, that's a great question. Um, the short answer is I don't do hardly any business stuff because that's what Nick Shaw does. Like, we're partners, we're co-founders. Nick Shaw runs the business, and we have, like, gee, 10 employees that aren't coaches mm. um, that are just part of running the business. We have a person who runs our athlete program, uh, who runs our branding and our marketing. We have two people in marketing. We have app developers that are always working on the app. 
Um, we have we have tons of folks. So what I do does have a lot to do with the business, but sort of um, it's kind of not day-to-day business stuff, but it's big projects. So I'll design screens for the app that when it gets updated, that's what the app looks like. I'll write the algorithms and the sort of the pseudocode for how the app ends up calculating things. Uh, I'll design various digital products. I'll write lectures. I'll uh, record YouTube videos. Um, I'll do webinar stuff on YouTube. And that's what I do sort of day to day. I'll write books, I'll edit books. That's the kind of stuff I do day to day. And I would call that, you know, it is all RP stuff, right? So how much of my day is spent doing that? Um, the majority of it when I sit down to do work is that, um, I would also describe podcasts like this one as part of my RP duty because it's, you know, getting out there and exposing our brand or whatever, uh, to the world and spreading the message and shit like that. So I do a lot of that. And so, so most of my day, uh, I can tell you guys almost exactly what my day is like, cause I basically live groundhog day. Um, I wake up, um, I go train with Jared Feather, my training partner. We do our AM lifting session, come home, eat, shower, work, 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 work. Uh, About four hours later, we go do our PM session, which is uh, another muscle group usually, and another couple muscle groups. Uh, After that, I come home and eat and work, 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 work. And then a couple hours later, I go to jujitsu. I get my ass beat for about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. I come home, take a, take a shower and eat again and spend one or two hours relaxing with my wife uh, and watching like stupid shows like SVU. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then we go to sleep and then I wake up and essentially do almost the same thing damn near every day. So, um, and, and you know, like a perfect life to me, <laughs> everything I, that was like a perfect life to me. Oh yeah, I, you know, from the police department. I'm going to emulate. I'm going to try to replicate <laughs> that day as much as possible. Well, I, you know what? It's funny because we watch police shows all the time. We envy police officers. Honestly, it, it seems like it's such a fucking cool job. Um, like it's. I'll tell you what's missing for my day: true excitement. You know, because I've heard, I've talked to a few cops, and when that siren goes on and that V8's revving, it's just not something you can replicate in everyday life. You know, like when that big call comes in. That's true. I don't have that in my life, man. My shit is as predictable as I guess jujitsu. I kind of get to like try to hurt people, it's, but it's, like in triangle, pretty exciting sometimes. <laughs> for sure. I don't. Are you um, are you a are you a? I don't know what the proper term for this. A beat cop? Like, do you go out in the street a, and like? I, I I I kind of um. I'm. This is like the nineteenth year of my police career, so I've I've uh, I've kind of um gone up a little bit. So I'm a detective now. Um, I do. Whoa. I work midnights and I just respond to all. Uh, active investigations. So I mean, anything, anything from robberies to like homicides, home invasions, all that stuff. So you go over there? Yeah, I go, I go over there once the deed is done, and then I start piecing things together. Dude, I should pay you to just for stories. Unbelievable! <laughs> you must have seen some shit, man. Oh, I, I, I've seen some shit, and we we we, <laughs> we, can, we can exchange email addresses. I can show you pictures. Holy shit! Yeah, see that shit. My life is boring as fuck. So I just watch law and order with my mouth agape like i can't believe this stuff actually happens and then i live my <laughs> fucking boring ass life this sucks i feel depressed now I, thanks for thanks that. for that <laughs> well, i'm good we can exchange we can exchange lives but we can do that sweet <laughs> like day one i just get shot you're like ah, oops. 
They oh, they'll be like, who's writing this shit? Did you guys hire a chimpanzee? What the fuck is this book? <laughs> yeah, no, I can't do that shit. I, I actually <laughs> asked for the Chicago Police Department. And they were like, okay, well, you got a PT test. Well, I'm running the Krispy Kreme. I'm not running shit. Me, <laughs> I'm just going to let them. <laughs> so, no, not at all. Uh, Mike, we know your time is valuable. We're going to definitely have you on for round two. That sounds uh, great. So I definitely want to touch base uh, with you after this is over, and we can talk about that. Uh, thank you for coming on today, despite the numerous technical difficulties. I'm going to see if we can find a different medium to interview you with, and I'm going to make sure that uh, nobody's streaming anything. I think I, I think my uh, wife and sister-in-law are streaming Netflix right now, which mm. Labor Day weekend. I don't I don't want yeah. to do, but watch Cobra Kai. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's such a great show. My um, my wife and I are like quite a bit through it and we're just super excited about where it's gone. Oh, I, I we are halfway through season one. We're still we're still going through it, but I, I plan to kind of binge this weekend in awesome. between and all that. But thank you for coming on. Uh, guys, if you don't know his handle on Instagram, it is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it is at RP Dr. Mike. Yep at RP Dr. Mike and uh, at RP Strength is the company name. Uh, so please give him a follow, give them a follow, and we will have Dr. Mike back on for another round of uh, uh, pretty fun and informative questioning because I, I got plenty more to go. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks you for coming on. Vaughn, as always, thank you. We'll touch base after this. Uh, for Vaughn Ateen, I'm Larry Brown. Thank you for joining the Fit for Duty podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you got any questions that you want to ask Dr. Mike in the next go around, please drop them in the YouTube comment section below. All right, guys. Thank you very much.